Hello and welcome back to another episode of Henry Weston's Old Mate, the podcast. I'm joined by Dean and Phil. And before Hello. we get over to catch up with the usual suspects, please just like, rate and review. Share us about if you're listening to us on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, all the big ones, some of the small ones. Just give us that five-star review. This will be five-star content. And share us about with your mates. Share us about in the WhatsApp group. Um, we have a WhatsApp group. It's from the charity one we've done last year. And uh, Dean has been very active in it about a few of the things we're going to discuss today. This is going to be a football podcast because, believe it or not, we talked... When I had Dean and Phil on last time to talk about the upcoming charity run that has now been and gone, you can listen to that on another episode. Um, we then went into a bit of football talk about Dean's Everton and Phil's Nottingham Forest and my Manchester United. And Dean has been keen to come back on and talk about VAR and a few other nuances of the modern game, as he's entitled this podcast episode. Um, before we get into it, uh, Dean... How have you been since we last got together, mate? Well, fine, mate. Thank you. Yeah, all good. <laughs> well, very confident. And Phil, how have you been, mate? Yeah, all good. It's uh, not quite half term in uh, in Wales, which is where I live. Um, it's happening next week. <laughs> so um, you don't yeah, live in warmer. Don't live in warmer. Not anymore. Not not since 1998. In fact, oh, that's uh, nice. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, looking forward to a break from work and some time off. So yeah, um, we're just about. So we've just come to the end of, or coming to the end of half term. Um, let's get into football content because I don't want to waffle on about the run and ask you guys blah 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 because we can do that another time. Um, VAR, Dean, you wanted to you wanted to get into a lot of things, and I'm not going to give you the opportunity to outline all this because we might be we might lose 15 minutes. But what I'm going to ask the pair of you. Uh, to kick this podcast off, Dean, VAR is into its second or is it into its second or third year in the Premier League? Yeah, um, I think third. Third. What? In days gone before VAR, we used to moan and groan and blah, blah, blah. Everything we could look back, disallowed goal. It was, we. there's, there's technology. Everyone used to say there's technology. We've now got the technology. It's failing. That's what we're going to talk about. But think, Dean, when you think back to football without VAR, it wasn't that long ago. Um, just what was you? Would you go back to that? Oh, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, in a heartbeat. Really? Well, that's, hold that thought, Phil. What about you? No, no, no? I wouldn't. I, I'm, this is this hasn't been scripted either. But I just think they've instituted something. It's not working well, yeah. but it could work. If it was implemented, I, I am in. I am in the, that camp. I think, Phil, and that's what we're now going to give Dean a bit more time on the microphone. So, Dean, you've sent me some notes. I'm not going to read through them, but just outline to us what you think the current failings are of the current system implemented within the Premier League. Because I know there's been different systems, as you pointed out at. World Cups and the Champions League use slightly different systems, slightly different tech. So let's keep this specific to the Premier League and outline to us where you think it's failing at the moment. I think the biggest issue that we've got is the application of it. I think that there's still 
an element of the unknown. And that's not from just uh, just the the viewer or the fan in the stadiums. I think there's still lots of grey areas that haven't been mapped out between referees, uh, the VAR rooms, etc. You know, it was it was brought in as VAR would only ever intervene due, uh, for clear and obvious errors. Yeah. Well, well, it doesn't. It it kind of interferes in everything, and that's not to say that um, the VAR room are doing it wrong. We don't know what they've been told to do, but from the directive that we were all told as fans of this is when they're going to get involved and this is what they're going to have to do. And if there's an obvious error on the pitch, that is when you intervene. And and it's not. And then the idea would be that if the referees made a really, really terrible mistake, VAR would overrule. Yeah. But then they're not even doing that. VAR are going, well, we think you've made a mistake. So go and have a look at the computer. So then giving the power back to the referee again, whereas that wasn't supposed to be the premise of it. It was the referee will control the game unless they have seen a clear and obvious error. And if they're directing it back to the referee, it's not clear and obvious. So why have you got involved in the first place? There's just yeah. a, there's a there's a lot of it that just doesn't really or hasn't really been thought out or mapped out. And the people that are using it still don't seem to be applying it in the right manner to support the game as, as good as it as, as well as it could. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do agree with Phil in an element that there are parts of the technology and parts of the system that are really good. So for me, when I said I'd go back to how it was, I would, but I like the, um, I like the goal line technology. I think football was screaming out for goal line technology for a long time, but that's black and white. It crossed the line or it didn't. Whereas when you come to VAR and, um, was it a foul? Was it not? Do I get involved? Do I not? There's there's loads of hypotheticals that can really get involved in any situation. There's slowing down of freeze frames to make things look worse than they were. Yeah, you know everything. Even all the pros are saying everything looks worse. Slow down. So where are we applying it? And where do the where does the VAR room know how to apply it? And I don't think that has been drawn out well enough for us to put it in the modern game. Yeah, and I think I will come to Phil, and I think subjectiveness, subjectivity, whatever the correct word is, Phil, is a fast-paced game of football is is different to something like a cricket decision where they've got this, you know, you review, you review an LBW decision and you have to hope that the ball tracking technology is working and the technology says to you that that is, yes, hitting the stumps, no missing the stumps or yes, clipping the bales. We'll stick with the on-field decision, be it out or not. And if it's just clipping the bales, you don't lose your review. And it's now, I think that seems to be pretty much got to the point where I think it's about as fair as it can be. Let's go back to football, Phil. And Dean is saying that it's all a bit muddled. Me, from a, let's say from a layman's point of view, I thought VAR was going to come in and like Dean said, they were going to intervene when there had been a clear and obvious error and they were going to have the ability to stop the game, literally get into the referee's earpiece and say, you've missed an obvious red there. Next time the ball's out of play, you know, we, we've made the decision or come to the screen and we all just thought there would be no more mistakes. Maybe that was a naive way of looking at it, Phil, but 
Dean has pointed out in about three minutes, probably five or six areas of concern. And that's just three guys who watch a bit of football can come up with that off the bat. There does seem, Phil, so much that is being misinterpreted, misunderstood, not, like we say, we don't know. There was that famous clip three or four seasons ago of the Australian referee in the A-League making a decision and the whole ground and the whole TV Anyone watching on the telly was subject to his thinking and it was all being relayed. And we, we, we've not got that in the Premier League. And that's something I know that's been in rugby for years and years. Um, where, how, how has it got to the point, Phil, where there is so much appearing to go wrong? So I think what, we, what they have fallen into, and when you compare it to the use of uh, technology in other sports... Dean's point and your point have been actually quite straightforward in that um, in tennis, it's either in or out. In cricket, it's either in or out, whether it's been caught or bowled or LBW, whatever. And in rugby, actually, it's either try, no try, foul play. Okay, and the foul play is actually quite like they do it for foul play in terms of technical infringements, but they don't call offside. That's down to the referee and the linesman or lines people. Um, that make the offside calls. So they're using it for the right things in those sports, in my opinion. But they've also, the unintended consequence of adding this into football is that they've all of a sudden found out that the sport is much more dynamic than they realised. Yeah. So as it stands at the moment, there are three, for me, really big areas that they just can't get right. And most of it is because it's subjective. Yeah. The offside rule used to be fairly straightforward, okay? And now it's not because your shoulder, your elbow, your nipple, your toe, whatever can be offside, okay? And they never actually nailed down what the rule is. Now, if they want to make it as simple as possible, change the offside rule. And to, to be offside now, there has to be clear daylight between the defender and the attacker. There has to be clear daylight. You can put one of your little special lines through that daylight and then you're offside. It'll actually probably make the game a bit more high scoring because more goals will be scored, whatever. The thing about handball, handball was never defined properly other than the ball hitting the hand. And now we've got all this nonsense around it being in an unnatural position. Now, for it to be a natural position, you have to have done a study of what people do with their hands when they yeah. jump, stretch, slide, whatever because stand standing to block a shot with your hands by your side is fine but when you're making that last ditch tackle you're kind of like arms up in the air because you're trying to keep your balance or whatever but handball is ill-defined in the rules yeah and what it's being used for as well is around the red card yellow card scenarios the, the actual acts of foul play which should be quite straightforward yes they're subjective but what we saw just recently in the Merseyside derby is within the space of two or three minutes, the inconsistency of two very similar yellow card offences. One of them got a yellow card and got sent off and the other guy just didn't get anything. And then the manager managed to, um, I was going to say pull them off, but that's a different, hey. different story. <laughs> um, managed to substitute them and get them out of trouble. Yes. Um, so it, it's... The latter one is probably easier to work through because it's an inconsistency. The first two, the offside and the handball, actually needs more definition around the rules so that the I technology can be applied better. I think. I think with that though, Phil, I think even even the fouls. I don't. 
So I was talking to my brother about this the other day. You can go in for a tackle. You could be um, studs low, as you're supposed to be, so not high. And the outside influence of maybe the ball kicks up off the off the wet turf that little bit quicker. So you don't hit the middle of the ball. You hit the top of the ball. Well, when you hit the top of the ball, naturally, as it compresses to the ground, your foot is going to rise. Just naturally, it's going to rise. The outside influence being the ball has caused that. So then if it impacts the other player a little bit higher than it originally would have, because they'd have hit the ball and then taken ball and man, all of a sudden you're out of control because they're slowing it down and going, well, look at this freeze frame. They've hit him halfway up the leg. They've discounted everything that's gone into that and they've just gone, well, he's hit him really high. And I don't think it's as black and white as that. There's a lot of outside influences that the ref would always take into consideration previously and they would make mistakes because they're human but now we've got some of them system. well yeah some of them your irony wasn't great <laughs> but then you've now got this system that it's just confusing matters and you look at look at the red card numbers that are increasing that i you know i i admittedly i don't like liverpool but they've had they've had two, i think two red cards this season that if you looked at um fouls from previous years they're not red cards they're not they're, they're not red cards they've they've not gone in with intent they've not gone in to try and maim the guy they've they've slowed it down they've got a picture and they've gone well he's high at this point yeah and i think like, well, I, th- I think that's a, i mean that's a discussion that we could probably spend the rest of this podcast going on and there's there's many arguments and for me i don't it's you'd almost get to the point where you'd end up saying you could end up just saying that even if it's accident, because I don't, I think in the modern game, there's not too many of these top professionals who go out to hurt people. And there are a lot of times when you just be it the, the, the slippery turf, Dean, you've just gone over the top of the ball. And yes, you have caught someone halfway up their leg. And yes, you are endangering them. I don't think there's a problem if you receive a red card for that. And it's stipulated that there is no there is not necessarily any malice, but you have endangered a fellow professional and we're going to give you a red card for it. But it's the consistency, I think. And we'll never be consistent because unless that ref's refereeing every game and he sees every incident from exactly the same angle, you know, it's going to, I don't know, we could go on. Let's move it forward. Um, Dean, we'll come to you and then we'll go to Phil on this one. But Dean, as you've just the things you've just explained in, let me just throw something at you. Wayne Rooney has just come to manage Birmingham, right? This is you. You wonder where I'm going with this, but what if Wayne Rooney didn't take the job at Birmingham, and we said we want people like Wayne Rooney, a guy who retired not too long ago. We want to get him involved in refereeing. He's an ex-player and he's keen to do it. Can Wayne Rooney? How long does how long does Wayne Rooney have to go away and? Because we can't just sit him down in front of a VAR TV. You're an ex-player, Wayne. You retired two years ago. You've been involved with the game since. Come on, sit in and advise us. Do you think everyone keeps saying ex-pros need more involvement, but surely there would be a huge amount of time needed, in my opinion. You might be of a different opinion, Dean. I don't I don't think so. I think if I think you look at all the all the best pundits in the game, they're all ex-professionals. They can strip out at the end of a game all the things that they usually do, whether that should have been a foul, whether there was intent there, they do it. They make 
hundreds of thousands of pounds a year being those people in those studios. To me, there's no difference in having that person on a microphone speaking to people on Sky than there is in a room advising people they, they must on the basis of their experience. They, they must have a full and thorough understanding completely of the rules, Phil, though, surely. So they should be they should go through the qualification process. So they should do the course. They should have a period of time where they're actually refereeing, whether it's pub football on a Sunday or whether it's, you know, lower league stuff, but we can fast track them for sure. I think they do need to be qualified so that they, because a lot of, a lot of professionals don't know the rules. They know what they know, the rules laws as they're, as they apply to them in a game situation. So, and I think that's part of the issue is that in a game situation, when the pressure's on, you know, if you're up at Stockley Park and you're sat in the VAR room, it's different to be sat in the warm sky studios with your pals having having a coffee and having a laugh and a joke and got the opportunity to review it 17 times. But there's, there's not, though, is there? Because you look at the Spurs-Tottenham incident and that was, you heard the audio, that is blokes in a room having coffee, having a laugh, calling each other nicknames and not dealing with it properly. There, 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 isn't, there isn't this massive difference. And you can't honestly so, tell me that, that all those that, people in the room are really qualified refs. That Spurs incident was absolutely spot on in terms of the the issue with hierarchy in the um, in that room and with the referee on the day because they knew there was an error, they knew there was an error, and they never called it out. Yeah, but do you not think that from the from the audio that was released? Because obviously I've I've listened to it as everyone else has. It's very muddled. You don't really know yeah, who's but talking. They... It's not like they're saying referee this is the thing right wouldn't, I'm, wouldn't, VAR, would, I'm talking there's, there's a communication an ex-player wouldn't have wouldn't have made the difference in that situation though Dean would it no not in that situation no. but, no, I, I, but then yeah. again I don't I don't think that and, and correct me if I'm wrong I don't think everybody sat at Stockley Park as a qualified ref I don't no. know the answer to that no I mean the guy who pointed it out was the video analyst wasn't he he wasn't okay. all right so the people's the people making the decisions at Stockley Park are qualified referees. Yeah. The so, decisions are based on the information that's given to them by people that just run video. But so it's it's yeah, kind of like I, I a, an accumulative effort. How that, that might that might be a dis, might be a little bit dismissive of the people because I'm sure they're they're very qualified at video editing and all the rest I, of it. I I think right. I I think the problem I don't know if we're certainly not going to get to the bottom of this, but I think if ex-pros I, I can't i honestly can't see a way that i i i, I would be i would it, i would agree with phil that I, I i think it would become a complete farce unless the ex-pros went through the rigmarole and yes fast track them but that it would probably mean them taking a significant pay cut and spending time doing things that they just can't be bothered with doing. If you've, but if you've got as an example, if you've got like a like Phil said, obviously the the decision makers at the VAR, they're they're qualified refs. Okay, that's that's fine. But they're they're getting advised by um, video videographers, whatever you want to call them, videographers. I don't know what the correct term is for them in that studio. Yeah, you could have another party called a professional liaison, whatever who also forms part of that or can give information specific to the incident from that perspective. Because 
Yeah. But the, the, I'm not saying that they should they should run the game. You know, I don't I don't want to put you know Craig Bellamy in front of you know as a video assistant referee because he'll he'll let you get away with maiming people. But the point is, is there could be there could be potential promise from engaging these guys and actually give people not necessarily that you know that the people you know in Premier League people you know, ex Premier League players that have earned millions and don't need to do anything. But there might be legs then in maybe you know League One footballers, League Two footballers having a career post football. I think. It, I think what you'll find it. I mean, I don't need to point this out to you probably, but most guys who are refereeing at the top level played football to a reasonable, not professional level, but certainly to a reasonable level and have a full understanding of the game. Uh, and it's just, I, I just, I just for me, having watched football all my life and, and been very sort of passionate about the sport, I just think if it was going to happen, if more ex-pro, I just think there's too much money in the media. Yeah, and, and if you if you look at someone, you know, if we get a League Two, a, reti- a retired League Two player, um, he's an ex-pro, but he doesn't, does he really understand Premiership football, Phil, and the pace of it? Can we sit him in the VAR studio? Well, I mean, I think that is the, that would be the next level of complaint, wouldn't it? It's just like, oh, we need to get professional, ex-professional footballers in there, but not him because he wasn't good enough. What does he know playing at Oldham for five years or whatever? I mean, there was the the, the podcast that Gary Lineker started just recently. You know, they have had, yeah, it's very good. The um, they had one of the. They had the. I can't remember his name. The, the lead guy from the referees team, Howard Webb. Um, that's him. Yeah, and they they asked him this question: Why haven't you got um, ex pros coming in? And he's just said, you know, it's money is the thing. You know, the after dinner circuit pays well. All the rest of it. There's a couple trickling in. Like he, he name checked Chris Kawamia. Um, if anybody knows him, Clipswitch. Ask, ask, ask your parents. Legend. Um, but you know, you you could argue. He wasn't top level, though, was he? You know, yes, he was a pro, but what? How? So, I think that's the next level of argument. And I think the other thing is having them in the room at Stockley Park. There is a risk, I guess, that you go from decision makers to a committee and trying to get a consensus, which then elongates the game even more than the ten minutes that we're already having at the end of a lot of games. I do think, Dean, you've got a really good point: is that it would be fairly straightforward to engage the PFA. And just say, we want you to nominate one player from each club. And in their spare time, because they only they only coach, uh, sorry, they only train between 9 and 9.30 on a Monday morning. Um, you know, they've got plenty of time on their hands, these players. They can actually be involved in the way that we referee these matches by engaging, sharing experience, reviewing old tape, all that sort of stuff. And actually have an input and give that uh, insight of being a player and what's going on with those, those tackles, those tackles where you, your foot bounces off the ball and shin somebody, you know, they could have a full and frank discussion about what that's like and why that's happened. I mean, Just, do you know what yeah. I don't understand though, is again, going back to VAR and the standard of reffing and things like that. And I, and I, I'm only using it because it's like, like Phil said, it's the most extreme situation that we've, we've had with the Liverpool Spurs game. VAR 
is clear and obvious errors. The minute that game has restarted, stop it. It's a clear and obvious error. Just stop the game. Stop the game and go, you've called that wrong. Because that that obviously nobody knows what's going to happen after the event. But Liverpool scored a goal and it was it was a valid goal. There was nothing wrong with it. And if they could see, obviously, that the refs misunderstood or something like that, just stop the game. That's what you're there for. You're there and, to get the bad calls and make them right. So just, I mean, just we change have, it. We, have, we still have this in other sports, don't we? And I mean, I don't watch much rugby, so I won't, I, I, but I will refer back to cricket. And there has, there is still the definition in cricket that the minute the outgo, if the batsman has been given out, he doesn't step foot over that boundary because the minute he does, if he steps foot over the boundary towards the pavilion and someone says, oh, hang on a minute, we've got that wrong, it's done. And I understand why there ha- I, I understand why there has to be a point. I, I agree with you, Dean, that I, I can't see why. Well, I can see why they can't do that because then, you know, retrospective and, you know, they, they need to change that rule. But, Phil, um, I mean, it would that would have opened up a can of worms. I mean, I think probably the whole of the football in public would have liked someone to say what Dean said. Stop. And I think probably everyone in that ground and everyone within the game would have accepted it, but it would have just been, it, it couldn't have happened, Phil, in that incident. So I think that there are two things that could be, could make the world of difference here. So again, I talked about, I said, mentioned about hierarchy within that kind of refereeing structure that, they were kind of constrained by the existing rules that says as soon as you've kicked off again or restarted the game, you can't go back. Yeah. But in the interests of the fact that this was an enormously obvious, clear error, then they just should have done. They should have just thrown their hands up and gone, look, everyone's going to get absolutely over the coals over this because it's a nonsense and it's completely clear. So we absolutely need to um, uh, sort this out. The other thing that would make the difference, because you could just tell that like the, the home supporters in that situation would kick off that the goal's been given, then we've gone back and blah, blah, blah. Speak to the crowd. We don't necessarily need it like the football, uh, the rugby referees and that you hear everything. Um, but American football, the, 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 the umpires have got um, a little box on their belt and they yeah. can turn on the speakers and they can just go... Sorry, I know there's been a disaster, but it's uh, it's a clear and obvious error. We've got to we've got to change these things. And they tried to do it. It's interesting. They did it during the Women's World Cup, didn't they? Yeah. They explained their decision making in the Women's World Cup, and now it's gone quiet. And it's actually that. Yeah, I don't know, but I think those two things have it up on the screen. Talk to the crowds, get them involved. Means it'll probably take some of the heat out of the situation as well. Yeah. The American but, football, the American football model, it, it, you know, and it was, I was only told this recently, actually, their officials, all the way from the officials on the pitch and the officials in the video rooms, it's the same team of people that go around together. So yeah. they become familiar with how That's they operate. It's very similar in baseball. Yeah. And why, why are we not doing that? We're, we're randomly, we're, it's like, it's a random selection. Yeah. Do you, if you're going to get really consistent and you're going to use that, I don't, I don't like VAR. I, I can't stand it. I think it's, <laughs> it's killing the game, but if you're going to implement well, it, that's the like, end of the podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> like, if you're going to implement it, like you two have rightly said, realistically, it's already here. So how can we get the best use out of it? 
well, there's another idea. There's another option that we've got from another sport that that could potentially have a beneficial effect on everybody because they'll all know within their teams who's responsible for what, who's responsible for what call, who that person you know is that they're speaking to back in the whether it's you know in the studio or whatever, and people will become familiar uh, with each other within those teams and how they work and what they're looking for, and at the minute it's like again. The only example that we've got is the Spurs Liverpool one because it's the only example of where they've released the audio. It is all over the place, and as much yeah. as Phil was right, the the system of getting to what they thought was the right answer, I, I've got no problem with that. But you've got like three or four people talking over each other at the same time. At one point, I think one someone goes Ollie, trying to speak to Michael Oliver, but there's a guy, someone else whose name is yeah. Ollie, and he's responding. It's like. This, yeah. this is this is mental. Why, why is it not, Yeah, why is it not more <laughs> professional? I think. Exactly. I, I mean, j- just very quickly. In it's interesting. Rugby World Cup's just on at the moment, and they they're not following that pattern of having their usual person in the kind of the VAR box. But at international level and and at club level, actually, I remember Nigel Owen, the famous Welsh referee, did something like three hundred games, four hundred games at club and international level with ex-referee, ex-international referee, Derek Bevan as his VAR man. So they travelled everywhere together, whether it was kind of club games in Italy or, you know, international games down in New Zealand. They were a two-man band and they knew each other. (laughs) I was going to say they knew each other intimately, but yeah, that's what you mean. Um, (laughs) but But that communication was so fluid that they knew what each other was saying. Um, yeah. And they could say some things like, there are occasions where you shouldn't be intervening as the VAR in rugby, but they had a call sign between them. And if one of them just dropped this in, like Del Boy or whatever it was that they said, it was something only fools and horses, um, they would know there's been a bloody enormous error and they need to go back and just look at something and find a reason to look at it. Yeah. And then you, you look at the, but you look at the rugby refs, Phil, as a good example because obviously everything is, um, you know, they've got microphones on them. There is a level of respect there, which is a big problem in football sports. You know, the footballers, two referees, is you know, there's a big issue there. But the fans always know what's going on. You use the Rugby World Cup as an example. Every single decision that is being made, you know what's going on, whether you're watching at home or whether you're in the stadium. It's very clear why things are getting done. So... The refs know that they're accountable for everything they do. The referees in football, they don't even have to, they used to get interviewed after the games back when the Premier League started. And I think for about, you know, 15, 20 years after, it was always the referee could be interviewed. Why did you make that decision? And they'd have to come out. And now they're protected by the PGAMOL, whatever it's called. And they don't have to. Yeah. And then they release a statement and go, we're really sorry. We made a clangor here. Let the refs join it. Let him be more accountable. Let him come out and explain why he's made that decision. So at the time, the fans are kind of understanding what's going on. There was there was one, um, I think it was it was either last season or the season before. I think it was the season before last. There was Man City were playing Everton and Rodri's com- controlled the ball with his wrist. Was never given, never given as a penalty, Man City beat uh, beat Everton 1-0, went on to win the title. So, obviously, it turned out great for me because Liverpool didn't win it. But um, Liverpool, I think Liverpool lost the league by, I think, a couple of points. And an incident like that 
could have had a, or did have an effect on where the league championship went. But all the PGEAMOL did was release a statement and go, we got that wrong. We'll try and improve. What about the, what about the ref that stood there? Get him in front of the cameras, get him to sweat like the managers do when they're losing their jobs. You look at Scott Parker when he looked, when he got, Twatted nine nil by Liverpool. He had to come out and talk about it. It's it's good. It'd be the next question, Dean. And I, I don't. I I I understand where that previous statement is coming from. Um, I would suggest that I'm sure these refs are paid wonderfully well. I personally don't think they're probably paid well enough to come out and defend every bad decision <laughs> they make. And I certainly don't. And I don't think we'd have any referees left if we made them. But let's ask you, Dean, while you're in front of the mic, why would anyone get into refereeing? Because people aren't. We, I think we, we've spoke about well, we know why they're not, because... Well, why on earth would you? Why on earth would you go and earn? It's probably more than 28 quid. I think the last time I played football, you used to get 28 quid on a Sunday morning to get fucked and blinded at. Mm. Uh, and I, I've seen referees not... I've seen them physically threatened. I've heard the horror stories of... I've never seen a referee physically assaulted, but I have seen them threatened. Uh, and I myself was guilty of, of using horrible language towards referees in the past. Why would anyone even begin to a referee at a non-professional level and why would anyone aspire to do it for a living I, I don't I don't disagree with anything you said I think it's it's an awful it's an awful um job to get into you know you've got to think that most most uh most of the top referees start at a very young age um managing oh, not sorry a referee in children's games well when the children aren't swearing at you on the pitch their parents are on the side of it. And the problem is, as a culture of the of the game, is there is a massive lack of respect for officials. I don't know where it's changed, but if you look at football in the 60s and the 70s and you 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 watch those games back, it's not like that. The referee would make a decision, and it and it wasn't all this six people in your face effing and blinding and calling him a C and it, it it didn't happen. And then over time, it's, it's just become this thing where it's okay. Like even like when you, you see like the ref, uh, the linesman gives an, an offside decision that's blatant, you'll still get someone turn around and go, fuck off. Well, well every child that watches that is, is learning that from yeah. a very young age. They're thinking this is okay. This is acceptable. These behaviors are acceptable. And don't get me wrong. I've done it. Everybody's I know, done I it. Know and you've it's, done it. No, I know, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not hiding from it. But when you go to then the rugby, and decisions are made irrelevant of how shocking decisions are made, the respect is on a different level for the ref. They call him sir. They do as they're told. These massive, big, you know, like six foot eight mountains of people are listening to this five foot three, like you said, Nigel Owens, Welshman. And he's going, listen in, no, no, no more of that. Sorry, sir. And then they walk away. So, so why what we've we've had it, Phil. Um we've had it over the years, and we've had the stamp it out campaigns, uh, and that might have been that might have been something, but we've had all these campaigns, you know, that as parents we see it on the emails that even come home from our kids' schools, um, about you know, respecting officials at, at school fixtures but we've we've had it on the te- you know 
I don't think it's this season, but a few seasons ago that it was going to be uh, uh, swearing was going to be a yellow card. So if you swore twice, you were off. Yeah. Um, and that was a Premier League directive. Um, and it, it hasn't happened because I think we quickly realised that we'd end up with, you know, sub, if if we stuck to those rules, the first game, the first, you know, first big game of the, the season, Liverpool-Chelsea, all of a sudden Liverpool have got seven players and they've got to abandon the game after five minutes because five of them, four or five of them have sworn twice. It's never going to happen. What else could we say? How's about if we made the referee the highest paid person on the pitch? Ridiculous idea, but would, would footballers respect him more? Absolutely not. No. Um, is... Phil, have you got any ideas on this? I'm not going to ask you the same question as why would anyone become a ref? You're, you've got a rugby background. You're, you watch a lot more rugby than certainly I do. I don't know how much rugby Dean watches. How can we, can we find a way of, can we find a way of getting players to respect the referee? But also, if you listen, Dean's referred to it twice, this debacle of the Spurs-Liverpool game, it's hard to respect people who are making glaring errors on a regular basis. And I, I don't agree that I think they should come on, but they aren't really being held accountable either. Right. So, I mean, there's a, a few things. Just, just to go back, I know you wanted to move on from Dean's question, but I don't know if you remember back in the day when I was living at home. Um, <laughs> 1998-ish? Uh, well, between 1995 and to, uh, 1999, I was a referee. Did my did my referee's qualification? I so fifteen. Um, I did my football my referee's qualification, and then start and continued that for four, three, four, five years. Um, took it up to university and and gave gave it up purely because, you know, I was getting paid my expenses, which was about twenty pounds, um, to be shouted at. Yeah. And when I first started, fifteen years old, my first season down at Markwood um, on the football pitches down there. Pub match, 15 years old. I got every word under the sun and I learned a few more as well. 15. And that was from the players. Just like, and it's, There's no wonder that people don't sign up to do it. Um, what would work to make the difference? I think what would work is what you've just said won't happen. Yeah. Is, and it won't happen, not because... The referees haven't got the bottle to do it. It's because of the TV. So if your big first big game of the season, Liverpool versus Chelsea, you've got lots of people effing and jeffing and calling each other a right Charlie and all the rest of it. If at 55 minutes the game gets abandoned, what's Jamie Redknapp and Micah Richards going to do in the... in the uh, Exactly. In the it, it, it couldn't happen, could it? No, it couldn't. But that's how it, how it works. Is actually we go... There is zero tolerance for swearing at the referee. I think there's a difference between swearing out of frustration on the pitch. Yeah, I think we have to draw a line. But if you call the ref anything, even if you scream at the ref and come running at them and touch them and in their face or whatever, off you go, buddy. And it will, you know, red card. So you're off the pitch for that. And you get a, a five game ban, not just a three. Just come down hard on them. We might have a couple of games that are abandoned, and actually, the team with the less, the fewest players, when it is abandoned, they get zero points, and the win is awarded to the other team. That might be the thing that 
that actually makes people stand up and listen. But it's all about the money, money, money. I remember, I remember Park Wanderers. Did you ever play for Park Wanderers, Dean? Yeah. Yeah. So it, I don't think you, but Peter Love Rock, our coach, um, we had a training session and I think possibly me, I hadn't been sent off, but we'd been to a five-a-side tournament and uh, we'd been given the ref and we, we'd, we'd let ourselves down. And then the next week at training, Peter had decided that anyone who swore was going to get sent home from training. And there was about 10 people had got sent home from training in about five minutes. And so the next week he didn't have that rule because it was just like, well, that it backfired on him. But we should have learned. But if he'd have done the same thing the next week, we'd have had no training. Possibly the third week we might have got on top of it. But like you say, Phil, it's at what point, and you don't want at what point is someone gonna stand up uh, because it could be it could be what 10 years let's say let's say five years from now when this current crop of referees are coming to the end of their careers and the guys coming up behind them just aren't good enough and the guys behind them aren't good enough and there's nothing behind them what do we then do are we then looking at importing referees from from foreign fields, or are, are we then going to be at this point and saying, "Oh, we should have done this ten years ago"? And the big, the big Premiership game has been abandoned, and the next week, the game that's not on the telly but is in the Premier League has been abandoned. And how long does it take professional footballers being paid millions of pounds a month, not even a year, millions of pounds a month? Because yeah. Bruno Fernandes at my team, I think he's an absolute disgrace of a player when he's got his head on him. It's embarrassing to watch. But I'm sure to hell that he would learn if he got sent off three weeks on the trot, got fined a week's wages, and all of a sudden he's not captain of Man United and Ten Hag's suggesting to him that there might not be, you know, you've got to learn from this. I don't just think yeah. it's that, Stu. I think I think you said about importing ref, refs. I don't think that's a terrible idea. There's 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 an over-familiarity between the, uh, the referees that are on big cycle at the moment in the Premier League. I don't know how many there are in total. I think there's maybe 25 to 30 that are on regular cycle of actually uh, taking the games and uh, assistant refs, whatever. But if you imported the ref, so look at the look at the referees in the World Cup. So those referees are always from a different nation. So they, you know, there's there's no bias. Um, there was less attacking the refs. There was less swearing at the refs. There were less red cards per game in the World Cup. Is that because there's too much familiarity in the Premier League where you go, oh, who's refing today? Oh, it's Dave. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dave referenced a few weeks ago. Should have sent me off, but didn't. <laughs> and then he goes out slapping his back. Hello, Dave, how are you doing? It's just, I'm not saying that is the answer, but I'm saying I don't think it, I don't think it shouldn't be looked at just because they, they ply their trade at the moment in a different country. And it might actually benefit our refs to go and ref in other countries also. So you, there was this, there's this obsession all the time with everyone going, oh, but they don't know the English game. Well, the current crop don't either. So there's no that, that gets rid of that argument. Yeah, I was, I was, I was actually going to pose something to the complete opposite end of what you've just said, Dean. <laughs> not, not that I disagree with what you just said. It makes complete sense. 
But the other thing is that, and we again we see this in rugby that on a Monday, on a Monday morning, the referees have a have a review meeting. So every referee sits down and they all watch their own games together. So that must be a hell of a day where they're watching six rugby matches back to back. But they critique each other's performance and it's open and honest and you know accurate in the way that they feedback. So that's one point. But the other thing that the referees do is frequently, very frequently, go and spend two, three, four days at rugby clubs around the country where it's not just, you know, you see me on a Saturday refereeing you, you're getting to know me as a person. And actually, when you call me and see you next Tuesday and then all that abuse arrives on on Twitter and all that it does to my family and all the rest of it, you get to know that. You get to know me as a person and maybe won't call me that because I'm not just somebody wearing a black shirt or as they used to or have a whistle um so uh, there's i guess there's a few ways to skin the cat when it comes to respecting the referees you know you need to respect them as a human of course you do they do need to help themselves they do need to earn that respect as well and part of that the way that they can do that is being a bit more open it's part of that transparency point that you were making about after match interviews maybe that isn't the approach but some transparency where they go up to the clubs and have rational conversations outside of the heat of the moment, outside of a Saturday three o'clock kickoff might actually benefit them because people will see them as a person and not a prick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's, I mean, I don't, I think it's gradually got worse. I think the standard of refereeing's got worse probably over the last five years. I think the the level of officiating's at an all time low for me. I, I, and I don't think it helps as, that, as we said, there's a system that they can't implement either to help them. So I, it's just, it, I could talk about it for ages. I just, I think it's the biggest problem in our game at the moment. It's the, it's the standard of refereeing. Oh, with, aligned, do with, you, so do aligned you, with VAR, yeah. Do you think, Dean, if we paid, if we identified promising talent in the lower leagues uh, and paid them vast amounts of money and made them, you know, made refereeing something along the lines of a footballer where you could have a career up to the age of 35 and very likely retire, but you are going to have to work, you know, you are going to be putting in 10 to 12 hour days five to six days a week for 10 to 12 years, would we be able to create an elite system of referees and an elite batch of referees? Or, or do you think even if we were able to do that, but then we're going to be, we're going to be changing the rules year on year. Um, and asking these elite level refs to work from a different rule book season from one season to the next, you know, where Phil's mentioned the handball numerous times. Why don't we say, look, we're going to stick with this for the next three years and we're going to let these guys work it out themselves for three years or not work it out themselves, but work to those rules and see. I'd, I mean, I'd, I'd, I don't think that, 
paying them shed loads of money is going to work. I think you create a problem there with then where does it go with the player? The player's going to be, you know, going, well, we're the superstars. We're the ones that bring the revenue in. It's not about the ref, but you're paying Yeah, but we're, suggesting, like, oh, we're suggesting the revenue streams are potentially being damaged by the poor referee and is dragging the whole product down. Yeah, but I, I mean, me personally... I would go back for that three-year period where you're going to go, let's sort this out. We want to use this. We want to use a form of video assistant referee. We can identify that as potentially being part of making the game better long-term, but we need investment in the system to make sure we've got the best one. I still don't know why we're not using the one at the World Cup or the Champions League. It's quicker. It's more efficient. There's no line drawing, but that, again, that... Is that I don't because I haven't researched it enough. Is that is that using com, com, computers and making the decisions? Yeah, or? it's just there's so there's they go down to two shadows, and then there's like a, an imaginary three D line between the two. And if right. if there's a presence beyond the line, into so into the shadow protrudes into the next box, you can see whether they're inside or offside, and it takes seconds. And that's one hundred percent reliable. Yeah, we uh, they used it in the World Cup. They use it in the Champions League, and they said uh, we we were offered it as a as a league, and we said no, we'll keep what we uh, we had. I mean, in response, to <laughs> we will keep about, drawing oh, it with the mouse. <laughs> well, yeah, because the FA get loads of money from that one, and they and they're bent. Um, but then going back to what you said about um, what do we do for the next three years? I would I get I'd scrap it other than goal line technology. Scrap it for three years. Give the power back to. But but you can. It, it, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a, you, you could, but I don't okay, think okay. we can. All right, you say you say we can't, but here's my, here's my argument that proves yeah. that we can. Last year, Everton played Manchester United in the FA Cup. Yes. Yes. And you knocked us out, but we had a goal chalked off just after half time because VAR said um, one of our players was offside. Yeah. In the same round. There were other VA, there were there were other decisions where people were offside. There was no VAR. Yeah, there's there, there's nothing. So there are games being played without these systems at the same level of the games where there are being played. So there's no consistency. Yeah, yeah that's anyway. that's wrong. So so scrap it. So just go. We'll get rid of it for three years until we can fine tune it. For three years, give the power back to the refs and the assistants because the refs and the assistants realistically are being undermined by VAR one way or another anyway because nobody has any faith but, that they can make the right call and just give it back to them and just everyone will go have, they're going to make mistakes we're surely Phil I mean, let's go with Dean's idea let's roll with it but we've okay. got virtual VAR in every TV studio the, the, the match officials might not be using it but all the punditry still are yeah realistically yeah. aren't they they are. I think the it, it's one of those things where it, it's it's a rock and a hard place, isn't it, for the refs? I think the I think contractually, I think probably the FA probably can't, or not the FA, but the Premier League probably can't um, get themselves out of that contract for a three-year period until it expires. Um, but um, I mean that that whole scenario. Let's the extreme version again with Spurs that was a an absolute corker of a mistake in real life the the referee on the pitch may well have given that because it was close enough but would have got some heat from a section of the crowd or whatever but actually he's hiding on the pitch when he gives it to VAR 
And it's actually not his fault at all. And it's none of those teams on the pitch, as in the refereeing team. It's none of their faults because they've said, I'll, I'll send it upstairs. Somebody else can make the decision. What it's doing is is devolving responsibility for making big decisions, taking that away. I think when we see... I, I don't see the same level of commitment to the decision when the VAR is asked to uh, intervene, as we see in rugby. So again, a, a more mature system, because it's been going now for 10 or more years. But um, the referee will say, it's an on-field try. Is there anything to dispute that? Or um, is there any reason why I cannot give this try? They, are, they ask the question in a very specific way. So the question is answered in a very specific way. And we still don't see that. It's just a... Oh, goal, great. Let's VAR it. What what do you get? And it's something cricket has had to learn from, Phil. Again, I'm referring back to cricket, but they cricket got themselves in a bit of a pickle with this soft signal, didn't they? Because what they actually did was made, they have the technology, but they were, it's that word subjective again. The technology was still at the mercy of that initial decision that was a human decision. So yeah. there was a human decision deciding whether that is caught, has it hit the ground. So that soft signal then dictated what the VAR or the video ref was allowed to do. And they've now had to move away from that because they realized that they kind of, it was all there, but the order it was working in wasn't allowing it to work to its best potential for the overall result but then you're you're, you're the, the trouble is with the, with the goal system is when we were talking about um or when they originally said it was going to be clear and obvious errors you would look at a goal and in in my in my opinion if the referee doesn't signal to suggest that there's something wrong but there's a clear and obvious error var intervenes yes that's how it's supposed to be used but that's not how it's used what happens now is a goal is scored and it's automatic. And you hear every single time you, you see, you know, you're watching Sky Sports, they go, they'll have a look at this. Why are they having a look at it? Because if there's nothing that looks wrong, treat, it, it, it's, it's fine. If it looks wrong, by all means, look into it. But then what they're doing is they go phases now. They're not just yeah. looking at the first issue with, so the ref might go, we've just seen a goal there. I'm not sure his elbow was in the right place. It looks like he might have elbowed the player. I've given the goal. Can you have a look? And they'll go, no, elbow was fine. But th 30 <laughs> seconds ago, the winger was offside. That's not what he's being asked to look at. I think definitely. And I think let's wrap this bit up and let's set a direction for a future pod. I think what we've come to, and we're not going back over, over ground, Dean, but I think what we've, what I've taken from this last 50 minutes is there's too much going on. It's still quite muddled and there aren't those clear guidelines. And that's a brilliant example, Dean. And I think that was probably what, two years when VAR first came in. All of a sudden, what should have been a very clear and obvious goal and the ref has said, can you just check the elbow? And the example you used is brilliant. No, the elbow's fine but I've rolled it back five seconds and matey boys tugged his shirt and looking at my rule book, there's a rule that says 
I've got to disallow it. So I've now got to tell you to disallow it. So then the ref says the goal's disallowed for uh, a shirt pull and everyone in the crowd's looking at the big screen going, yeah. what fucking shirt pull? And the yeah. big screen's not going back the five seconds. Um, Phil, I think this has been a brilliant chat. I want to set, we've got so much in front of us. Um, let's set a direction for a future pod. I know Phil's busy next week, but let's try to get together again. We've got a load in front of us. We've all got Dean's notes in front of us. Let's keep this slightly specific, but not to VAR. Now, Dean supports Everton. Reading this, you'd think Everton were a really small club. They're actually in the history of English football, whether we like it or not, one of the biggest clubs. Dean's Dean's little musings on the internet suggest that they're hard done by. But, Dean, you've put a little section, new rules, and it's a great one to chat about. You've got here... There's a couple of new rules. Let's just talk about extra subs yeah. and how you've suggested that they only benefit the better clubs. And I'll read your words. Extra clubs only benefit the better clubs who have better players. Now, it's a, this could be a whole podcast itself. Phil, um, very... A statement that we could not pick to pieces, but I mean, Dean has said the better players, I might say the fitter players. What's your take on Dean's suggestion there? Um, I, yeah, well, yeah, it's all about squad depth. So, yeah. you know, we're allowed 20, what, I think, what is it, 28, 30 players after the transfer window closed that you pull into your first team squad? That you sign, so, yeah, I think. Yeah. So, Luton's 28 players against. Man City's 28 players, the wealthy club has a better, you know, they've got better depth to bring off the bench. So I agree that um, it, it does benefit them. I don't, you know, we brought in five substitutes or whatever it is during COVID because we wanted to minimise the risk of transmission. But we should be going back we should be going back to that pre-COVID, however many it was, two, three substitutions. Yeah. Because three from seven, I assume, was it back yeah. then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. Tiredness and fatigue create errors and gaps. So we'll score, see more goals scored. But what we're doing now is getting more players on the pitch. And yes, those players are commanding kind of great fees and we want to see the best players. But actually, if you know that you're going to be you've only got a two in seven or a three in seven chance of getting on the pitch rather than a five in seven. Actually, you're, you're going to have to show more of yourself in training. You're going to have to show more of yourself on the pitch. And if you're that good to be at Man City, then you're going to have to prove it. Otherwise you might find yourself at Luton to try and get your first team football. I, so, I, I, just think, it's, yeah. I, I think, think it's that. Sorry, Stu. I was just going to say just a quick one. And then we'll come to you. Didn't I actually think it's, I, I think this five sub rule has actually influenced the big clubs' transfer policies because I I I think you go out and uh, Bernardo Silva he's a first, but you go out and you sign first team players knowing that you need you need sixteen first team players in your eleven. It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? But you yeah. need well you you don't need, but if you can afford to, then why the bloody hell? Why the hell not play, pay Jack Grealish half a million quid a week to... Oh, he's, he's worked his way into the first 11, realistically. But I think when they signed him, I think Pep thought, I can afford Jack Grealish. He's a bloody good performer. He'd be a great one to have as a fifth substitute. 
Hey, sorry, Dean, I interrupted you. Go on, mate. No, sorry, mate. It, I don't just think it's. I don't just think it benefits the players. On, um, I think it's a bit of a vicious circle. I think the problem is, is that the teams that are regularly regularly in Europe obviously um, benefit financially from being in Europe. Yeah, so they can afford to buy more players. But the argument then is our players are tired because we're paying 60, maybe 70 games a season through all competitions. Well, not okay, the I'm, United I'm, ones. No, no. <laughs> McTominay's doing all right. Um, but anyway, <laughs> then you go then you go full circle and go, okay, so you've got the money. You've used that money to invest. You've got a massive squad. You're still moaning about being tired. And then you might have on a Saturday, because the Premier League's like that, you might have a Saturday one day where a Luton come out and are playing an Arsenal, and after 75 minutes, it's it's one apiece. But their 11 players, they know that, all right, they've got a subs bench of nine, but only three of them are, are any good. They haven't had the money to invest. They're not in Europe. They're not moaning about being tired and giving more money for the pleasure, like all these bigger clubs are. And so Arsenal will go, well, we'll, put, we'll just take five players off and bring five other first-team players on. And then for the last 15 minutes, just get absolutely destroyed. And the gulf between the better clubs and the lesser clubs is widening. I, you know, I'm not just saying it because, you know, like, Everton are poor. There's no, there's, it's not about my club. It's about the general, the general idea that these bigger clubs are having rules amended because of their moaning, because of their complaining. Oh, we're tired. And the Premier League can't not support them because anytime they do fail to support them, they go, we're going to have a Super League then. And then there's that threat hanging over them all the time. So the Premier League have got to kind of play chess with these people because the revenue stream that they could lose from these clubs not getting their own way is huge. So they go, well, do you know what? Yeah, go on then. You, you, you're right. You are tired. We'll have nine on the bench now and you can bring five of them on. Don't worry about the punishment for the Super League. We'll, we'll, we'll forget it ever happened. And there's no, you know, we were always talking about the football pyramid when that Super League thing came in, the football pyramid. How does it affect everyone? I'm at the point now where I think everything favours maybe six clubs now, let them go. Let them go and let everyone else have their own league because it's like that anyway. The, the top six in the league are, you know, you might get one or two like Villa, Villa look like they're doing something this year. Which is which that's because I slated them in a previous podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but do you, you see what I mean? There's there's loads <laughs> of nuances within um, what's going on at the minute with finances, with changing rules. It only seems to benefit those at the top that already seem to have so much going for them. The smaller clubs, your Burnleys, your Lutons, your your Bournemouths, that they aren't reaping the benefit of any of that. They're not. It used to be, and there was a big complaint that if you played in Europe in midweek, and I think it was Alex Ferguson used to complain a lot about it, if they played on a uh, a Wednesday, but then they got a Saturday game, there would be a complaint. Like if it was a lunchtime game, they'd always complain, yeah. my players are tired, my players are tired. But their opponents are thinking, we have got United on a Saturday, they're shattered. They've run their legs off against Juventus in the week. We've got a chance here. Now they haven't, because if that does happen, they'll just go, well, we can afford to change our whole 11, still compete, 
probably, you know, we, we will win. And even if they get tired, we'll have the other guys on the bench to come on who, you know, it, there's no benefit for the smaller team and the, the golf is, the golf is getting wider in my opinion. Well, I, I, yeah. And I guess people listening to this would just say, this isn't a football. That isn't a football argument. That's a life argument, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. it, is, it is. But then, and yeah, then, is, yeah. and then we, we could have this conversation for the next hour and all of a sudden I might be suggesting, or someone gets around to suggesting, why don't we, um, you know, we can't do it because we've got a four tier system, but you mentioned, we mentioned the NFL earlier and, you know, you finish last, you get the, you get the top, pick in the draft next season obviously we don't have a draft but um you know at some you know if the premier league do we get to a point at some point where the premier league is just the top 22 teams and they're the premier league and then we end up sort of in a system whereby everyone else has relegation below there's a three there's a three tier system below but that premier league almost becomes an nfl or a major league baseball and those teams lucky enough to to make the cut all of and, and we get into that sort of elitism, but whereby Burnley could end up winning the league one day because because they've they finished bottom. But then we get into salary caps, and this is a very yeah hell of a long discussion. Um, Phil, um, this has been great. This has been a really wonderful chat. Is there anything? Could you? Is there anything you want to finish up on, Phil? Because we'll come back. We're, we've got so much to talk about in in future stuff. We'll get together and talk football again because I really enjoy it. But um, anything you want to sort of round off this conversation with Phil before we give Dean the mic for one last time? No, I'm just delighted and relieved that Dean didn't mention Forest in no smaller club um, uh, that he listed. So uh, European uh, Cup winners twice, mate. I wouldn't do that to you. Excellent. There we go. He's remembered. And the uh, Simod Cup, 1987. <laughs> Dennis Data Systems, 1980. Whatever. Anyway, um, it's a long time ago. Uh, no, actually, actually the new rules do benefit Forest because they let you sign the population of China in the summer. <laughs> Two summers yep. ago. Two summers what? ago. <laughs> um, Dean, um, these, this, realistically, we were working from your wonderfully laid out notes. We haven't answered the question really but we've had a blooming good discussion about var and um, just sort of we know your feelings on var dean but could you sum up what do you we can't get rid of var what do you hope for for the rest of the season from var i think if they're going to use games that I want to see people learn from the mistake and I, I and I want to see a level of consistency that the football fan can then refer to and go, okay, well, this happened in our game, but it also happened in, in their game. So we, we, we can understand why that's given. I think Phil hit the nail on the head. So many things are subjective, even down to the referee. It's very difficult for... Um, each and every referee to sorry, didn't look at them. Each and every referee to call it exactly the same. They're, they're never they're never going to. But if they can learn from each other's mistakes, maybe what Phil suggested, where they critique each other and they can go, well, why didn't you do this here? Why didn't you do that? Which I I'm of the understanding Howard Webb's supposed to be doing, but you know, it might it might help. It might make people uh, might make the referees have some form of uh, improved model that they're to follow 
I just, I, I just don't think the season can continue the, the way it is with this, the the amount of mistakes that are getting made. We shouldn't be talking about a system failing that was brought in to stop the failure. What, what I don't want to hear, and it's not not specific, but what I want, yeah, I consistency is I think what we all want in any sport that is refereed, which I guess is every sport, maybe apart from golf, where they're meant to referee themselves. Um. But yeah, you want to get to the point where if it's in the Premier League and it's called VAR and Mr. Phil is coming to referee at Old Trafford and if he then goes to referee at Burnley the next week, he's got exactly the same cameras in exactly the same location and the yeah. stripes and mode on the pitch exactly the same and everything is consistent. So he's got every chance and I like the idea and I think we probably know we like you referred to in America earlier. Maybe maybe the same team because they've got like the NFL. There's a lot less teams and they play in divisions. So perhaps perhaps that's a geographical thing as well. But I, I would be interested to see why that couldn't become a thing where we're creating these. I guess you'd create little pods of five to six individuals, and you maybe after three or four games you came to the conclusion that Dean is best in the VAR box and Phil is best run in the line and Stu's best probably left at home. But, you know, they, they might, but you might work them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you get this pod together and yes, they go and referee Man United every week. Yes, they go and referee blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know. Um, Phil and Dean, this has been a great football chat. Uh, it's a bit... It's not going to be a new series, is it? But I, I love chatting about football. Um, you guys are very knowledgeable. Dean, thank you for putting the notes together. Phil, thank you for coming on. And thank you for supporting me as a content creator, as always. Um, thank you guys for being guests on this uh, VAR edition of Henry Weston's Old Mate, the podcast. Cheers, mate. Cheers, 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 Dean.